Thank you guys for coming out tonight. And thank you all of you who are out there for tuning in. We are going to be in the book of 1 Thessalonians. We are in the second chapter. Thursday, this Thursday at 1 o'clock, we have the world-traveled ventriloquist Yoli Pacheco, who will be presenting her ventriloquism act, which is quite spectacular. She is very, very, very good at what she does. So if you have children or you're just a child at heart, we ask you to come on out Thursday from 1 to 2 o'clock. Okay, we'll have a good time. And if you are a young adult, we have a young adult um, conference call chat coming on on Friday from 10 to 11 a.m. And we are going to be talking about some of the current issues and how the Holy Spirit is in the midst of all of this. So if you would like to chat, we would love to chat with you. That's from 10 to 11 on Friday morning. All right, here we have God's word. Let's stand in honor of God's word, please. And we're going to read, we're going to read verses um, And blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. And you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. That you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and well, once again, Father, we acknowledge your presence here. And now we look to this wonderful book that we have, the Bible, to receive both instruction, to receive exhortation, to receive comfort, and to be charged by the Holy Spirit to do your will, to walk worthy of you. So enlighten our eyes, show us what that means. And please, please be honored with the hearts and the attitudes that come to you this evening. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Remember, we started um, chapter two last week and what we learned is, is that there were critics of Paul because he only stayed there a short while or so it seemed and then he sort of jetted out of town and they thought that he was pretty much a coward for leaving so soon. Of course, when you're being chased for your life and you're walking down the street and always having to look over your shoulder, you know, it might be sensing in the spirit, it's time 
as Kermit the Frog said, beat feet, green stuff, right? Um, but here in this section of chapter 2, Paul comes to, writes to the Thessalonians, telling them that, you know, guys, um, I'm none of those things that they've been saying that I am. I'm not a, a little tyrant. I am not here for your money. But he says that I'm your spiritual father. And I care for you as a tender father toward his children. He's trying to get that across to them so that they know that they can absolutely trust his heart. That there's no guile, there's no wrong motives, and he is not looking to gain a following. He simply wants to see them mature in Christ. Now, in, in 1 Corinthians 4, verses, verse 15, and I think I have it up on the screen, he tells the Corinthians, which would also apply to the Thessalonians and here the Peorians here in, in, in Calvary Chapel Arrowhead, if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. In other words, it was through his preaching and through his teaching that led many to Jesus Christ. And you remember that when you come to Christ, you become what? Born again. And so spiritually, he's saying, I am your father. Sort of like what Darth Vader said to Luke, only with less sinister intent, right? But a father, a good father, a true father, not only fathers children, but he cares for them. And as he defended his own work against the false accusations, he pointed out three of his duties that he has faithfully carried out as a father should, as the spiritual father to the Thessalonians. So we can learn from Paul what our duties and what our responsibilities to our spiritual children are. And I hope you do have spiritual children. I hope you do have those that you have helped lead to Jesus Christ and now are part of the discipleship process that you just didn't do a one and done where you, you know, dive bomb Christianity, passed out a trek, prayed sinner's prayer, then woohoo, I'm out of here. I hope you are involved in their lives. So verse 9, we see his work. You remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. He's defending his ministry, right, against the accusations that he was only there for financial gain. In verse 9, he reminds them how hard he and Silas and Timothy, who were part of his team, were working. Uh, they set up shop, and they earned their own living while they ministered to them. And he says that they did it night and day, so they would not be a financial burden to them. So no one could accuse him or Timothy or Silas of using the ministry for their own profit. Um, I wish I could say that we didn't have anybody using the ministry for profit today. But the stories abound and it makes people very cynical against Christianity 
because we have creatures who are living in, in multi-million dollar estates, having two or three of them and begging their followers to help buy them a new airplane or a new jet. You know, and, and that kind of stuff is that you, you just shake your head at. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Now, the Bible says that judgment, you know, in the last days when judgment comes, it begins in the house of God. So it won't be much of a surprise if we see things collapse and we see many of these ministries falling. Paul uses the words here, labor and toil. Uh, J.B. Phillips translates those words, struggles and hard work. Um, one commentator said it's weariness which follows on the straining of all your powers to the utmost. A lot of you people know exactly what it is to work a hard, hard day and to be exhausted at the end of it where you have nothing left. Well, that's what Paul and Silas and Timothy were doing during the day, but somehow they had to dig deeper to find just a little bit more so that they could minister to these Thessalonians. That's, that's just part of what the ministry is, guys. It's just part of what it is. Um, for many pastors, uh, being a pastor is their, their only job, and that's pretty much where I'm at today. After about 35 years in the ministry, the last 10 years, I have actually been able to be paid for doing ministry and there's nothing wrong with that I'm not ashamed of that because the bible tells us that we are to to pay those who labor in the word but for many pastor uh, the demands of church ministry sermon preparation teaching outreach visitation counseling administration etc etc they fill up the days and they leave very little room for anything else but there are pastors, and, and as I spent most of my time, uh, I found that I had to take an outside job to supplement my livelihood, to make ends meet. Um, I went to college, I went to ASU, I got my bachelor's of arts in education so I could be a teacher, because I love to teach. But that was always the backup plan. That never was the main deal. I did not want or look for a career in education. I just did that in case the ministry could not support me, which was pretty wise because pretty much the ministry has not been able to, but that's okay. There's no complaints here. That's just the way it is. You never hear Paul or Silas or Timothy complaining one moment about the sacrifices that they had to give to be able to minister to the flock, whether it was the Thessalonians or the Corinthians or the Philippians, whatever they had a chance and opportunity, they did it with gladness. They fulfilled their call. Paul toiled because he loved the believers and wanted to help them as much as possible, possible without being a financial burden on them. Second Corinthians 12, 14, you can write that down or turn there. He says, uh, talking to the Corinthians, he says, I'm coming to you for the third time. And I will not be a burden to you. In other words, I'm not going to be a financial burden. Okay, I don't want what you have. I want you. I want you. 
After all, children don't provide for the parents, rather parents provide for their children. So what we see here, Paul's heart, and he's a good papa. He understands what it is, his responsibility is rather. Now in verse 10, back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we notice that this concerned spiritual father, or what we notice about him, is his walk. We've seen his work. Now let's look at his walk. The word walk is being used as a metaphor for how somebody conducts their life, how they behave, okay? Whether it's how they behave in private where no one can see them or how they behave in public where everyone can see them. In verse 10, he says, you are witnesses and God also. So you guys have been watching me, but I've got someone who's watching me a little bit closer and that's God the Father. You were witnesses in God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. How did we conduct our life around you? How did we behave with you? Well, a good father will sacrifice and work for the children's sake, right? And they are also good examples of how to walk the walk. Guys heard that before, right? We talk the talk, but do we walk the walk? He could call the Thessalonian believers as witnesses that his life had been exemplary in every way. None of the members of the assembly could accuse him of being a poor example. Now, my father used to tell me back when I was in elementary school, right before I turned into junior high and all of a sudden I got smart. Don't do as I do, do as I say. Anybody ever heard that before? Yeah. And I just thought, well, since he's in the Air Force, there must be some, you know, code that I don't know about yet. But when I got into junior high, I discovered that's all bogus. <laughs> well, Paul was not afraid to call God as his witness because he would never say just do, follow, I mean, do as I say and not do as I do. He would say, follow my example. Do as I do. Do as I do. And he wasn't afraid to call God as a witness that he had lived a devout, just, and blameless life. How about you? If you call God as your witness to the uh, moral character of your life, uh, are there some parts of it that we just rather leave out? Yeah, yeah. Some hours of today, as a matter of fact. <laughs> okay, I'm just saying. His life was holy, is what we're saying here, okay? In the Greek, that means to carefully fulfill the duties God gives to a person. To carefully fulfill the duties God gives to a person. Paul has a summons on his life. You know what it is to have a summons? I don't know if you've ever had a summons delivered to you in a public place. But basically, it's an authoritative piece of paper that says you will show up at court at this date, at this time, by authority of the law. Well, the summons that Paul has is higher than the law. It is from God himself. And the summons on his life is to be an apostle. Not an apostle that goes around, you know, asserting his authority. 
than an apostle that sacrifices his life for the cause of Christ. Even if it means being beaten and jailed illegally. Even if it means being stoned in the literal sense. Even if it means risking his life with illness, uh, living in poverty or living in abundance, whatever, he was to be obedient in all of those things. And he was. He absolutely was. He obeyed Christ. And that's why he could say that he was blameless. And literally that word means that no one would be able to find fault in him. I mean, you're not going to be able to hack his Facebook or his Instagram or Twitter account and dig up dirt on the guy. He's clean. Now, his enemies might accuse him, but no one is going to be able to level a charge against him and prove it. And he was bold enough to put it right out there. Christians, turn to Philippians chapter 2, guys. Philippians chapter 2. We are supposed to be blameless and harmless as we live in this world. Being blameless and being harmless for us is walking in obedience to Christ. We do it because we love him. Philippians 2.14, Paul says, do everything. Well, how many things are everything, everybody? Everything. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Now, if that was the test to get into heaven, how many of us would just have to walk out the door? Yeah, exactly. So that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. A Christian who is in obedience or walking in obedience doesn't murmur or make excuses. Uh, you know, you probably were told this when you were a kid, that when you get good at making excuses, that's probably all you'll be good for, Right? That's why Paul says, don't make excuses and don't defend your positions. Don't murmur. Murmur. It, the, the word means exactly what it sounds like. Murmur, 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 murmur. It's like complaining under your breath. That when you walk away, they say, what'd you say? And you turn around and say, nothing. Nothing, right? Yeah, you were murmuring. Murmuring was a real problem for the people of Israel. After God opened the Red Sea and he crushed Pharaoh's army, the Israelites sang for a few minutes, and then they started murmuring. They didn't have water to drink. When God gave them water, they began to murmur again because they didn't have the right kind of food. And then they murmured again when the land to which they were going to seemed too intimidating for them. Complain, complain, complain. Scripture tells us the Lord hears us even when we murmur in our tents. Well, just consider your heart a tent, okay? Consider your attitude a tent. Consider that conversation you have on in your head a tent. 
the Lord hears. He's listening. And Paul says, well, do all things without murmuring. Well, if you simply choose to say, I will not murmur or excuse my behavior, I will not defend my position or dispute my situation, well, you're going to stand out in a world that is crooked and perverse. Everybody complains, don't they? And everybody gets into an argument once in a while, somehow. And some people seem to thrive on it. But what Paul is encouraging us to do is like, well, maybe the next time we're at a grocery store and we're tempted to murmur because it's taking the cashier forever to check out the person before us. Or um, you walk outside after the service and you say, I can't believe how hot it is. I wish I was in Montana with Larry and Teresa, <laughs> right? Instead, say, can you believe how good the Lord is to give us access to this much food and the resources to pay for it? What's waiting in line? Can you believe how wonderful a fall and winter we're going to have in spite of this heat? Right? In other words, you, you can choose your attitude, and that's what I'm talking about. Um, and that will be a powerful witness to people around you, especially your family. Because you're not so much prone to, well, maybe these days you are, um, to complain before people out in the public. But you are really likely to complain and argue with your family members all right, who don't care. I can tell you now that complaining and arguing are two things that will really mess your witness up and will really destroy your intimacy with God. Um, I don't know what the experience was for you when we were playing, you know, oh God, breathe on me. Because you know, one thing is needful, that I pour out my love. And we're thinking of Martha, right? Sitting at the feet of Jesus and, and just, just embracing him and being in his presence. But if there's a complaining heart and spirit and murmuring heart within you, it's going to mess that up. You're not going to be able to enjoy that time. And yeah, everyone complains, but Christians are not so much to complain. Have you heard of the new memes of Karens and Kens? Anybody? Anybody know what a Karen is? All right, good job. We got one. Greg, you woke, I know. A Karen is usually a, a, a middle-aged woman um, who just sort of goes ballistic over the minorest thing and makes a scene in public. Um, you can Google it and you can see all kinds of examples of Karens. But there are also Kens, so just want you to know that this isn't gender specific. Kens who just get all upset over everything. Like there was a woman that was yelling at these guys who were delivering a new refrigerator to her home, brand new refrigerator. And she was very, very angry and she was yelling at them because they didn't pre-cool it before they got it to her house. That now she would have to plug it in and wait for it to cool down before she, you know. And for her, that was like, you know, uh, we call those first world problems, you know? First world problems. And, but for her, she has a sense of entitlement, I guess. They raise their voices, they paint the air with swear words. Um, 
there was a lady who was standing at a grocery store checkout counter and she had, you know, a purse full of coupons. And of course, you're standing behind them, right? And they don't pull the coupons out until after everything has been checked. And they just start handing the coupons to the cashier and, and they're just being rejected right and left because they're either um, double coupons or they are expired. And she just goes off and starts swearing at the guy, telling them they don't know how to do their job and you should be fired. And I want to talk to the manager. That seems to be the favorite, you know, last line. I want to talk to the manager. And lo and behold, the guy that's checking her out is the manager. Okay. Well, I'm going to write to corporate and I'm going to get your blankety blank 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 fired and on and on it goes. I mean, it breaks your heart, but I guess if you're having to wait in line, at least you appreciate that you got a show to watch, right? Don't murmur or complain. And Ephesians 4.29 tells us, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. No corrupt word. How many corrupt words? None. Nil. Nada. Nothing. Sterilize your adjectives. Neuter your nouns. Let no corrupt speech, but that which is necessary for edification. Proverbs says, speak life. Speak life. That it might impart grace to the heirs. All right. The concerned father must not only support the family by working and teach the family by being a good example. He must also take time to speak to the family. All right. Um, look at verse 11. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. He exhorted, he comforted, and he charged. We have a, a phrase that's really popular in parenting now. Use your words, right? Use your words. Use your words, Timmy. Don't just point, stomp, and scream and throw pots and pans around the kitchen. Use your words. What do you want? Well, Paul used his words to exhort, to comfort, and to charge. Um, now, that word exhorted, uh, sometimes it can have a negative connotation, like it's scolding, all right? And there may be a little bit of a tinge of rebuke in it or correction in the word. But actually, it's a word of encouragement. In the authorized version of the Bible, it means to call to one side to encourage. It's someone using words to speak life into another individual and avoiding the swearing and the screaming and the sarcasm. Um, at Valley Christian High School, we had a coach that was really, really good at this. We were getting near the end of the season we're going ready to go into the playoffs and we were battling a rival school and the kids were all hyped up on it and one player in particular took the game very personal but he he just kept messing up he wasn't that kind of a player but he was messing up and he got pulled from the game coach took him to the side and i i was privileged to watch as as this coach while the game is still going on just took the, the young man by the helmet and put it on his head. He put his head right on the guy's helmet. 
and he spoke words of encouragement to him. I couldn't hear what he was saying, but you could tell that he was not reaming the guy out. He was actually trying to encourage him so that he didn't feel like a total disaster and failure. They say that encouragement is oxygen to the soul. A lot of people fail for lack of encouragement and for any other reason. Nothing succeeds like encouragement. So we, as a community of believers, should be a community of encouragement. Now, can I get an amen? Thank you. Next, Paul comforted them. That word has the same idea of encouragement, but the emphasis is on activity. In other words, Paul not only made them feel better with his words, but he motivated them to want to do better. Um, he's a good father, and he's a great motivational speaker for his children. Uh, and if you guys know how to do this, okay, if you can make someone more encouraged and get them to want to do better, would you come tell me what your secret is? I can make a lot of people feel better, but I don't know if it always uh, translates into making them want to do better. Now, now, good parents won't pamper their child, but they will encourage the child who's fallen off their hobby horse to get back up and try again. We call that grit in America. In our culture, that is called grit. When times get hard in the faith, and sometimes heaven seems locked in silence, and sometimes we get dry and are tempted to quit, we need grit. We need perseverance. Like it says in Hebrews 10.36. Hebrews 10.36. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will then you will receive all that he has promised patient endurance there's another word for that that is perseverance right and there's another word for that it's grit it's grit grit is passion and perseverance for long-term and meaningful goals. It's the ability to persist in your faith and persevere when you face obstacles. Grit is about having direction and commitment even when you don't feel like it. When you have this kind of passion, you can stay committed to a task that may be difficult or boring or just hard. Grit is about perseverance, and to persevere means to stick with something, to continue working hard even after experiencing difficulty or failure. Um, I think we have time for this. I hope we do. There's a scene in the movie Facing the Giants. How many of you have seen that movie? Anybody? Facing the Giants? Okay. And this is called the death crawl scene. Okay, the death crawl. And uh, this is a great word picture for what perseverance and endurance and grit is all about.
calling you in, except I want to see your absolute bet. <laughs> what, you want me to go to the 30? I think you go to the 50. The 50. I can go to the 50 if nobody's on my back. I think you can do it with Jeremy on your back, but even if you can, I want you to promise me you're going to do your best. All right. Your best. Okay. You going to give me your best? I'm going to give you my best.
so will they. Don't tell me you can't give me more than what I've been seeing. You just carried a 140-pound man across this whole field in your arms. Rock, I need you. God's gifted you with the ability of leadership. Don't waste it. I weigh 160. All right. Um, I think that's a perfect word picture of what Paul is trying to get across to us, and especially the believers of his day, of endurance and perseverance when times are hard and tough. He's writing to a church that is undergoing and will be undergoing persecution like they've never seen before. It won't be just social ostracization. It won't be simply that they're not politically correct and are going to be victims of the cancel culture. Their lives are going to be on the line. And many Christians <clears throat> in the day will quit. They won't persevere out of fear, out of self-preservation. And Paul, as a good father, as a good coach, is telling them, don't quit. Don't quit. You can always go a lot further than you think you can. We need to know this. Young believers need to know this. We often quit too soon. How long will it be before God brings that prodigal child home? How much longer are we going to struggle at a dead-end job? How much longer will I need to endure this loneliness? What, whatever your, your thing is that you're struggling with, if there is a how long in front of it, don't quit. We get tired of the struggle. Paul gets that. We get tired of trying. And we have missed many blessings because we just threw our hands up in the battle and said, forget it. It's not worth it. We have quit just before the blessings Somebody said, and I love this, because I don't know the answer to the question of how much longer, but I do know this. Tomorrow could be your final lap. Don't give up. Don't give up too soon. And remember the snail. Spurgeon said that it was by perseverance that the snail reached the ark. <laughs> Perseverance. All right, let's finish this up, okay? Paul charged them. That word means that Paul testified to them from his own experiences. So when he is telling them, you know, and exhorting them, don't give up, don't quit, 
he's got stories in his back pocket that he can pull out and say, man, I was in the, I was shipwrecked in the middle of the ocean and I persevered and I endured. I, I was in the Philippian prison being, having been beaten, but I persevered and I endured. I was sick to death in, in the mountains, but I persevered and I endured. Now, I know, were you raised by someone who always would tell you, start off sentences like, well, when I was your age, all right? And they always had a story to tell and you just roll your eyes at them. Uh, or maybe you're that person now, <laughs> you're going to the younger one saying, well, when I was your age, um, I would tell you that uh, you want to use that sparingly. You know, pick your, pick your times, pick your spots so that it has its impact. Psalm 3411 says, Come children and listen to me and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. That's your job. In verse 12 of 1 Thessalonians, this is the purpose of the fatherly ministry that they would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. It means that they need to learn how to conduct their lives. They needed good models to follow. And he's admonished them to walk worthy of the Lord. To live their life in a manner that is worthy to the name which they were being called by. Jesus Christ. And the verb calls in verse 12. Well, the verb is in the present tense, and that just means that the Spirit is continually calling you, continually exhorting you to live a life of holiness and obedience. First Peter 1.15, and we'll close with this. As he which has called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation. And that just means your behavior, the way you live your life. Be holy because he is holy. Now, what did I tell you before? Paul walked in obedience to the Lord, right? That's what holiness is all about, guys. It's nothing more mysterious or austere or hard than that. Just walking in obedience to what God has said, that is holiness. And in your holiness, you will find power like you have never had before. You will find happiness in holiness. And we're going to talk a little bit about that on, on Sunday. All right. Um, I think that's enough for one night. Uh, worship team, why don't you come on up and everybody, let's stand. We'll sing just a moment here. Let's pray. Father, you have given us a, a beautiful example of how to minister to one another and to minister to young Christians. Paul has, has shown us how to raise babes in Christ. He was a faithful steward. He was a loving father. And he was a faithful 
may we find ourselves being the same way to those that God puts in our sphere of influence to persevere, to endure, and to walk a holy life, Lord. So, Lord, prosper us in that way. In spite of what comes our way, strengthen us in the inner man that we might persevere, that we might endure, that we might take one more step and not quit and not give up because that pleases you and it benefits us. I pray these things now in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, whom we are so excited about his return. May it be soon. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's sing this song, Anchored Deep. And...